0: one of the jokes around Meet other meeting meeting other polyamorous people as we just love to talk about it because like oh look somebody I can talk about this with, you know? um, and so I think that's really fun to meet other people where we like kind of talking about it and working on our communication and doing the inner work you know because mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people that don't actually want to have the desire you know right right yeah maybe don't even sense. see the need you know yeah, that makes yeah. sense
1: if
2: you're happy with the same old ways of dating
1: if
3: you enjoy sucking at communication
2: and you have no desire to improve your romantic life then our podcast might not be for you
3: but you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships
2: broaden your sexual
1: horizons
3: develop a better understanding of yourself
2: or learn more about non-monogamy then you've come to the right place i'm jace i'm emma Lane, and i'm Dedeker. and this is the multi-amory podcast oh. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we are talking with special guest Kitty Chambliss. Kitty Chambliss is a polyamorous and sex-positive speaker, author, educator, and relationship coach, and an activist and founder of Loving Without Boundaries. Kitty's work has been featured in stories from The Polycule, Postmodern Woman, The You Share Project, and the upcoming book, Coming Out Poly as well as other publications around the globe. She's also been a special guest panelist and speaker on radio shows, international and national conferences, and more, as well as being a dual-certified CPC and ELIMP relationship coach. And she has a book coming out called The Jealousy Survival Guide, which we will be talking about on this episode.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, let's get to the interview. So here we are with Kitty. Kitty, thank you so much for joining us today. You are welcome. I'm excited to be here. Great. So I believe that uh, we all read your book, and I think mm-hmm. Emily uh, is starting us out with our questions to grill you with about your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: absolutely. No, I was I was wondering, um, do you agree with the narrative that jealousy is just like a normal biological response? And that it's been sort of this vital thing for human evolution. Because a lot of times I hear people saying that, like, you know, jealousy is just really normal. Like, it's a thing that everyone goes through. Um, Do you actually think that it's learned over time or that it's just like a natural response that occurs within us? I I kept thinking that during uh, while I was reading the book, just simply Mm -hmm. because I wondered kind of what your stance on all of that was.
0: Sure. No, that's a great question. My stance is really that it's simply a feeling. It's a human emotion that we can experience. I don't necessarily think every single one of us definitely experiences, say, a lot of jealousy. I think it's probably unlikely that we would go through our lives and never experience it. But I definitely think that some people are more predisposed, possibly, to mm-hmm. feel jealousy than other people. For example, my husband is just not really a very jealous person, and neither is his girlfriend, yeah. whereas I definitely have more challenges with experiencing jealousy. So I do think that certain people may feel it more than others, whether it's physiological or learned or whatever but i think one thing i'm trying to get across in the book is that it is normal and okay to feel jealousy i think sometimes people try and squash it or pretend it's not happening or be like i'm horrible for feeling jealousy i'm not doing good poly you know Mm -hmm. but it's it's very normal to feel it and instead of fear it or suppress it or pretend it's not happening
1: yeah no I appreciate that you're creating yeah. the book for people like yourself that maybe feel it more often mm.
0: so yeah, that's great Yeah, and I think for some people maybe feeling jealousy isn't maybe an issue or it doesn't feel quite so icky mm-hmm. um, but I think for some people it's um, it's either you know they try and avoid it like the plague mm-hmm. but the book's really to let them know that it's okay to feel it and then here's some things that you can do to work through those feelings and maybe lessen its impact if you do
2: yeah that's that's great. It's something I've noticed with a lot of the blogs and other writings and stuff out there about polyamory that I found there's a fair number that are written by people who don't seem to experience much jealousy. Mm. And I think Mm -hmm. that those types of people are the minority of, of most of us, but they're the ones who, because everyone else looks at them and goes, Oh gosh, you do this so well. Mm. There are a lot of the information out there. So, uh, I appreciate Uh, that you're also coming at it from, the point of view of just a normal person who experiences jealousy totally. uh, it's something that we try to talk about on our show as well that that yeah we all experience it too we're not immune somehow mm-hmm. it's not that we're magically poly and you're not
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i think sometimes there's that idea that you're practicing polyamory because you're enlightened or something mm-hmm. you know and we're just you know everyday people i don't feel any more enlightened it's just a way I identify and it's Mm -hmm. also something I choose to practice but I think partly I'm choosing to practice working through some of these tough things or working on my communication so that I can learn to express these challenging emotions that are hard to talk about sometimes you know or or nervous to talk about and Mm -hmm. trying to give people the tools give that they can have uh, smoother conversations with their partners when things like this come up
3: right I mean I think that what i do appreciate about your book is that you address you know the problematic thoughts that can come up fueled by jealousy you know addressing the fact that it is problematic to have feelings of jealousy and then to think like oh that means that my actions of like screaming or blaming my partner or yelling are justified um however i appreciate that you also address that it's equally problematic to think um me feeling jealousy is wrong or Mm -hmm. me feel like or my needs and wants don't matter um, right. that like it's not worth or that it's not worth it for me to even fight for uh, you know to have the battle of talking with my partner about how I'm feeling and Um, it's kind of related to what we've been talking about just now about these thoughts of like feeling guilt about not being a good enough, a quote unquote, good enough poly person, um, you know, or feeling wrong for feeling jealousy. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about why this opposite end of the spectrum, the, the end of the spectrum where it's like, Oh, I shouldn't be feeling jealousy. I should just be Zen as fuck. I shouldn't be expressing my needs to my partner. Like why this can also be just as destructive as say, you know, more, well, I guess destructive jealousy, where where you are yelling and screaming and stamping your feet and making demands on your partner.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it, a lot of times people will suppress their own needs. Like in the in the towards the end of the book, we talk about um, one of the communication styles is nonviolent communication, mm-hmm. and realizing that sometimes some of our challenging emotions, such as jealousy or anger or anything like that we're partly feeling it because there's a need or a need that's not getting met or a value that's getting violated or a boundary that's getting violated. So I think often we'll either pretend, you know, pretend our needs don't matter or we're not maybe honoring our values or we're letting somebody cross or violate a boundary. And there comes a point where you need to kind of, um, if you want to say, stand up for yourself in those type of situations or learn to understand what your, your needs are and then learn how to express them in a way that your partner can hear you versus the screaming and ranting and raving, you know, and, and also acknowledge like you were saying that it's okay to have these needs and to learn how to um, figure out how to get them met and to so then make a request of your partner. like Instead of making a demand like, I don't want you seeing that person anymore practicing veto power, you can make a request like, um, I feel maybe we're not spending enough time together. Do you think maybe we could, I'm feeling a little excluded, you know, can we maybe talk about that a little bit? So there's, um, constructive ways that we can, that we can be doing that.
3: Right. And I think that's something that I keep coming back to often in my own coaching practice. And what we've come back to many times on this podcast is this idea that it's such an important skill to be able to tell the difference between, what is me just having some uncomfortable personal growth and versus what is what is me in a situation where boundaries are being violated or where i'm not getting what i need
0: and mm-hmm. i i feel mm-hmm. like a
3: lot of issues that come up with people who are exploring non-monogamous relationships tends it tends to lie in that particular overlap of people not being able to tell the difference between this is just uncomfortable versus like i'm being violated in some way and sometimes it's yeah. one way sometimes it's the other but yeah that's always a tricky thing yeah right.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why the whole first section of the book, it's really a lot about mindset and really doing a lot of inner work and a lot of exploration personally before you even approach your partner. And it does take time and it does take effort. And I, but I think it's really important to you know look within first before you start you know talking to your partner and making sure it's a productive conversation and also and so you're not like coming at your partner you
3: know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. no one wants to be ambushed yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so in your book you offer a lot of very very practical very hands on tools for doing that inner self work for doing that you know switching up your mindset kind of work for for setting a good foundation for having healthy effective communication with your partner and uh, there's one technique that you had in your book that actually after I read it I immediately introduced it to a client of mine and it worked like wonders so first of all thank oh you for gosh. that <laughs> yeah and oh, it was so amazing. it was your technique of categorizing your fears between um, less loss and never that okay. like that so uh-huh. um you know as you explain in the book that often our fears that fuel our jealousy are connected to either the sense of you know less of being afraid that i'm getting going to get less of my partner's time or less of my partner's affection to the fear of loss you know fear that i'm going to lose this partner entirely um, or the fear of never the fear that like i'm never going to be with this person again or maybe they will never take me on a date like the date they just went on with the with my metamore, you know things like that and yeah. Um, I would love to hear from you, you know, why is it so important to be able to label and categorize our fears when when they're overwhelming us?
0: I think what I've found, especially in my polyamorous journey, is there's so many things that we experience, like our, our feelings and things that are hard to articulate. Like, that's really it. It's, it's so challenging when... You're, you're feeling something inside and you don't know how to get it out. And I think sometimes that creates anxiety. It can even make us sick, you know, and like we can have a, an upset stomach even. Yeah. And so I think it's really great when we can come up with a way to express it to the other person, whether we use metaphor or we learn new terminology like we, we love to do in polyamory is come up with new words. You know? <laughs> um, but I think with the loss less never, it's just, um, you know, fear is something a difficult thing to talk about in general it makes us feel I think vulnerable mm-hmm. maybe that's it. it it's um there's a vulnerability in talking about our fears and so just coming up with some words to help explain it to our partner in a way that becomes more tangible instead of just this ethereal thing that we're that we're afraid of and we're mm-hmm. afraid to express it to our partner so I think it's really about um being able to um as you said, label it, but in a, label it in a way that our partner can understand and also we can understand. Sometimes we're having a feeling we don't, we don't even know what it is. Right. And so being able to uh, kind of analyze our own feelings in a way where we're practicing emotional intelligence um, with ourselves and then being able to present that to our partner so that they can understand. And I guess also create a bridge, um, create some empathy from our partner for what we're experiencing so that they can have a better understanding about how to meet our needs and how to meet our requests. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I think there's a lot of
2: power in having labels for things. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. obviously labels can be misused as well, but when it comes (laughs) Mm -hmm. to things like this, that just, um, like I know for a lot of people with anxiety, for example, they may have mm-hmm. been feeling this way and it's this terrible feeling in their life and once they have a label to put on it of, oh, this is anxiety that I'm feeling when I have these symptoms, when it's, you know, my heart yeah. racing or my stomach getting upset, you know, all these these symptoms, that then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, I have a label for it, so now I know things I can do to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like, they oh, a way to talk about it. Here's yeah. this thing, I'm going to practice this mindfulness technique or here's this mm-hmm. thing... I need mm. to change my situation in a certain way to avoid it. So yeah. I do think that that there is that power, I guess, right. in labeling yeah. your fears, so then you can approach them differently.
3: Yeah, well, a big, mm-hmm. like a theme that comes back again and again in your book is the idea of creating psychological distance between yourself and your thoughts, or between yourself and your fears, mm-hmm. because the fact that your fears aren't you and your thoughts yeah. aren't you which, I mean, mm-hmm. that truth is just a doozy in general.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, yeah, and
0: it's it takes practice. Like, all this stuff, I think, really does take practice. It's one thing to just write about it in the book or, um, you know, to, to learn about it when you read it, but it's just like meditation and mindfulness. It is something that you have to keep practicing. I mean, even though I did write this book, you know, I had a situation come up a couple days ago, you know, where I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, if I could only just... In part, everything I wrote about, I just have it in my power right in this moment, you know. So you really do have to keep practicing, um, so that it becomes um, more ingrained in you. And but the the beauty with the practicing is you do get better and better at it. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, that's that's a great yeah. segue actually into the next question that I had here, which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's all it's all well and good to talk about jealousy and how to analyze it and how to be mindful and all of these things, but. A lot of times, when people get triggered by something that makes them feel jealous or makes them feel afraid, which they're you know, which is showing up as jealousy for them, and they mm-hmm. have that panic freak-out moment of just like, "Oh God, mm-hmm. get it off of me, get it off of me," that kind yes. of. Uh, uh-huh. like the, and the jealousy spider is on you, on you, and you just <laughs> panic. Yeah. And freak out I and like
3: going. that the
0: jealousy spider. That's awesome. Uh-huh. I just made that one
2: up right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good job. Um, yeah, that there's that that panic moment where you you. It doesn't feel like you can think rationally. It doesn't feel like you can take time for that distance. I was wondering if you uh, had any techniques from from your book or from your experience of something that you can use kind of right in that moment to create just that little bit of space so that you can then try to label Mm -hmm. it or get some distance from it or, or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it, it's it certainly whatever works for you. So I can tell you some of the things that work for me and some things that I talk about in the book. For first, I think it's recognizing, like when you start seeing, you know, the green or whatever it is that you experience in that moment. Um, for me, first you have to recognize that, and then the next thing I usually do is I just simply excuse myself and go to the restroom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you wrote about that it's, early it's, on yeah. in the yeah, book. Yeah. I mean, It's so simple and silly, but you know what? It works because when um, I can feel those, like for me, it starts to well up in my my chest and yeah, that kind of sense of panic and my face starts to get hot. Mm. And so once I kind of feel those physical sensations, I just, I know whatever's going to come out of my mouth next is not going to be very good, (laughs) you know, and I might stick my foot in my mouth or say something I regret or, or also I just may look like a deer in headlights and say it's a social situation. Like I just may look like I just swallowed my tongue, or you know. <laughs> yeah. So I'll literally just excuse myself, like whether it is a social situation or um, or I'm having a conversation with a lover. Um, I'll literally excuse myself, go to the restroom, you know, look in the mirror, put my hands on the counter, feel something cold. There's always something cold in the restroom. Mm. And, um, and just kind of collect myself for a couple mm. minutes. And then once I'm in there, if I need to, maybe I'll just kind of breathe deeply because also when we, um, when we practice really quick meditation, we can physically lower our heart rate and just, physically calm ourselves down like when you are feeling that those flushed feelings um it's a way if you only have a couple minutes um to just you know slow your body down slow your breathing down and that'll slow your heart rate down and i did read before and i I don't think i have this in the book that it can take up to 20 minutes Mm -hmm. if you are feeling jealousy to actually get back to your normal, whatever your Mm -hmm. normal is. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if you've only got a couple minutes, you can at least get back to some semblance of normal um, and hopefully get yourself to a place where you can at least kind of put a pin in it and think, okay, I obviously just got triggered there. Um, Maybe it's not the right time to talk about it or maybe it's also I'm in a social situation where I can't, but um, just put a mental pin in and be like, okay. As soon as I can get a moment with this person, um, you know, maybe we're gonna have to sit down and talk about this after. Maybe I do some internal work. So that's kind of my go-to. I would say uh, just excusing myself and uh, doing some quick breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also would say um, just not talking. Like if mm-hmm. you can, if you're in a situation where you can't excuse yourself, just don't open your mouth until <laughs> you're really kind of ready to, you know. Because <laughs> I find sometimes if I uh, let myself go um, you just don't know what's going to come out when you're mm-hmm. kind of in that frenzied panic state mm-hmm. Um you know, it's and it could just go really bad really fast. Yeah. Know? Sometimes
3: when a spider lands on me, I do have to do that same thing in the bathroom afterwards. I'm like, okay, it's okay, <laughs>
0: yeah. it's alright. Yeah.
3: It's a tiny spider. Yeah. It's okay.
0: <laughs> this spider metaphor is awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'm
3: actually now my brain's kind of thinking. I was like, can we? Yeah, can we expand on that at all? Well, just yesterday oh, when geez.
2: we were out to dinner, like, no,
3: a spider did land. Was on there a there? spider?
2: <laughs> did land on Dedeker, and I watched her go through this like. She was very still and stayed very calm until she took care of it, and then she freaked <laughs> then out. I had to freak out.
3: My yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, sorry um, not to hijack
1: you. No, no, yeah, no, I just, I appreciate that you said that, because I do have a partner who um likes to kind of leave the situation if he needs some time, and there is something really great about knowing that, hey, I may not do or say the right thing mm-hmm. in my present state, so I need to, like, exit the situation, calm down, and figure it out. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you saying that, yeah, just because I think it is so true, and I know when you get a little bit of, like, distance from the issue and from the problem, how much better it can go in hindsight, and yeah. when you're looking at it not right in front of you, but kind of mm-hmm. from 30,000 feet, so... Great. Yeah. yeah
0: exactly exactly yeah so i think yeah in that case you're putting a little physical distance but i do find sure. that when i do go back to the situation i can be a little bit more of an observer absolutely and that helps too like yeah. i just think all right i'm just gonna try and enjoy the rest of the evening and i'll come back to this later <laughs> you know yeah. and then uh and i think just that process of then practicing observing the situation and uh from a calm place uh yeah. helps you remain calm too
3: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M U L T I.
1: If you still employ like all of these techniques, do mindfulness, like really do want to be non monogamous and want to be there for your partner in that way, but you just simply feel you cannot do that, is that a thing? Like, are there actual polyamorous people? And are there actual monogamous people? Do you think that that's something that exists? Or do you think that everyone could employ these techniques and ways to understand and figure out how to be not as jealous in a polyamorous situation?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I'll take that in a couple different ways. I think if you either identify as polyamorous or attempting to practice polyamory and say the jealousy is either really, really strong or where it feels like it's impacting your emotional well-being or just your well-being in general or also maybe you're not willing to really work on whatever, however it's coming up for you or working on um, your communication techniques. I would say you may want to question whether polyamory is good for you, you know, may, like I think that's a valid thing because I think if um, we we still at the end of the day have to be emotionally and mentally healthy, mm-hmm. you know, so if you're finding that it's, you know, you're crying all the time or you're depressed um, or you think you're a horrible person because you can't figure out this jealousy thing. Then maybe polyamory might not be for you, you yeah. know. And I think that's valid, you yeah. know. And I think one could say that's related to maybe your maybe you you thought your values were X, but they're really Y, and you were trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And I think that could be very valid. Um, and f- same thing for uh, a monogamous person. I think if. Um, I have people that a lot of my friends do practice monogamy, and a lot of them tell me when I've come out to them as polyamorous, oh, I could never do that. I could mm. never do that. And I think it can be very valid um, for somebody to say, I could never do that. That's just not for me. And I think that's also a very valid choice but I would still kind of maybe put that back to, well, then that as long as you're living in alignment with your values and, and you're, you know, feeling happy about the way you're living your life, I think, again, that can be very valid. And I do think that some people may be more predisposed to jealousy or anxiety or things like that. So I think at the end of the day, we still have to make the right decision for each of us. Um, I do think that, we can work on these things if we want to, but I think that you also have to be willing to, and also have the ability, you know? So, um, I think just like anything else, I think there's people all across the spectrum.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's So yeah. So go ahead.
2: Just that, that, that statement of, oh, but I could never do that. I I do feel like it's one I hear from people so often. Uh, Yeah. But, but I will say I have known people who've said that and then, maybe next time i talk to them a year or two later now they're in some kind of non-monogamous relationship that that mm-hmm. you know it's it's so hard to say whether it is this innate orientation that they just know this truth that they can't do it or if it's yeah. or if it's just that their brain hasn't gotten there yet cuz they've never been presented with it before and
0: yeah, uh, yeah i'm glad you said that cuz i think it's important that somebody just may not be ready Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that goes back to, you know, are you willing to put in the work? Well, maybe you're just not ready to, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. you will be ready later, you know, and that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we should all be able to go at um, a a pace that feels good to us. And I think um, it comes back to also safety, like when you either get to a place where you feel safe, you know, to maybe explore something that's maybe out of your comfort zone great, but maybe you're not feeling that yet, you know? Um, and I think it's important to feel safe. I think that goes back to feeling that you're emotionally and mentally well, you know? Right. You want to explore from a place of safety. So, yeah. you know, I, I can I can understand, like, if say somebody is, um you know, again, suffers from either depression or anxiety, like maybe that's, maybe you're not feeling in a safe place to be grappling some really mm-hmm. tough things at that point in your life, mm-hmm. if it's Definitely. temporary, you know? Definitely.
2: Yeah, that's a great point to yeah. take the bigger picture into account like mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, so actually, though, to continue on this uh, vein of talking about monogamous relationships, you mentioned in the book mm-hmm. that that learning to manage jealousy and not allow it to be the one controlling you uh, is mm-hmm. something that gets talked about a lot in non-monogamous relationships, but is also incredibly important in monogamous relationships, but people tend not to think about it as much. And so yeah. I-, I was curious to hear from you, from your experience of seeing monogamous people, either that you've you know worked with in coaching or just people that you've known What kind of transformations you've seen when these monogamous people start thinking about, you know, thinking about jealousy differently, thinking about jealousy as something they can manage rather than something that is kind of out of their control, which is the cultural narrative that we're given.
0: I'll be honest with you. I mean, I would say most of the people that I know who are monogamous are a lot of those people who say, oh, I could never do that. You know, Mm -hmm. when I talk about polyamory and I also see a fair number of um, monogamous people experiencing jealousy in other ways, like um, jealousy of uh, somebody gets a promotion that they wanted or mm. jealousy of their friends or of the glamorous trip that somebody took. And um, at the risk of it sounding like a little bit of a generalization, I kind of notice those people not necessarily working on that. Like, I don't, I don't know that they... Maybe have the desire to work on working through some of those uh, jealousy issues or working on their communication techniques. Um, So and I guess most of my clients tend to be those that are either opening up or already practicing polyamory. So I can't really say that a lot of my clients um, are monogamous practicing i do have uh, i do have situations where one person is mainly uh feels monogamous and the other person is polyamorous and they're trying to see if the mono poly thing can work mm. so in those cases <laughs> there's a spider on my wall oh gosh <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: that's really funny don't let it um, jump on you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stay there spider um <laughs> But, um, so, but I will say that, yeah, it is pretty neat. Um, I do have somebody who is actually uh, about to become a client, and I gave her just the first chapter of the book before I had written the rest of it. And uh, in one of our early conversations, she was talking about jealousy like it was the plague, and like she should never be feeling it, and like she was a bad person for feeling jealousy. And so it was neat after she read the first chapter, which just starts to talk about, you know, hey, it's a feeling, it's human, it's okay to feel it, and you can work through it if you want to, she said that that was really a revelation for her just to know that, it it wasn't something to suppress or that it made her a bad person or like she could never actually practice polyamory if she was going to feel jealousy so i did get to see that um kind of epiphany that she had in herself um but we haven't actually like worked through it all Mm -hmm. but she's excited about it she's excited she's i haven't sent her the book yet but she's really excited to read it so um so I look forward to seeing more of those journeys, but they tend to be more, uh, in my world, it tends to be more people that either want to enter the polyamorous world or are already in it. Um, so I, I simply haven't worked with a lot of monogamous people who are trying to get through some of those emotions.
3: Right, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. that feels so much. Just even having the willingness, and it's it's not even necessarily framing it as in the willingness to try out non monogamy, but just the willingness mm-hmm. to examine yourself and examine what makes you tick. You know, even if that leads you to eventually knowing, like, no, I want to be monogamous. But it's just that in its first place of being willing to kind of go to that uncomfortable place of yeah. looking. At yourself and and seeing what's yeah. there. Um, yeah, so, I guess. A, sorry, go I just ahead. want to add
0: one more thing, real quick. Sorry, just that I've I've noticed that I think most people don't want to do that. You know, mm. I think it's probably like a smaller percentage. If I had to guess, I don't know. Maybe. 10 15 percent of people are willing to do that because i think it is really uncomfortable um and so i i love meeting new people like yourselves who we kind of with one of the jokes around um other meeting meeting other polyamorous people as we just love to talk about it because like oh look somebody i can talk about this with um and so i think that's really fun to meet other people where we like kind of talking about it and working on our communication and doing the inner work you know because i think there are a lot of people that don't actually want to have the desire you know right right yeah maybe don't even see the need you know that makes sense so we have one last question for
3: you and it's our question that we ask all of our guests um if you were going to pick one piece of advice to give somebody who's thinking about uh, exploring a non-monogamous relationship, what's that one piece of advice that you would give?
0: One piece of advice I would say is, and this is partly based on uh, my own experiences, which is I would just do a lot of inner work in the form of research in the form of after you, you know, read a lot of those materials, really try and absorb it and maybe whatever works for you, journal about it, talk to people who are practicing it, really uh, do the homework before you go and just say, okay, now we're going to gonna, we're gonna <laughs> do this right now, you know, or this is who I am, you know, like do do the work um, ahead of time uh, however that work looks for you. And and uh, just using myself as an example, I I read and researched for about two years before we even attempted to really mm. open up our relationship with my, my husband, my primary partner. And and I think the window of a research time could be different per individual, but I think it's important to uh, at least do some sort of homework ahead of time. Yeah, that's a good one. That's Great. a good yeah, one. Thank you. Yeah. For sure. So thank people you. who
3: uh, who do read the Multiamory blog will already know that Kitty often contributes to the Multiamory blog, um, and she's given us some fantastic work for sure. But Kitty, can you tell us, um, if people are interested in your book or interested in reading more of your work, where can they go to find that?
0: Sure. My website is lovingwithoutboundaries.com, all spelled out. And I am also under that same name on Pinterest and on Twitter. I'm at Polly Talk by Kitty. And but you can also find everything pretty much at Loving Without Boundaries that'll take you wherever you need to go and I do uh some contributing works of course with with you guys and yeah, and the book will be out uh hopefully extremely soon. First the Kindle version and then the print version. So excellent.
1: Great. All right. Yeah. Great. So exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Well thank, thank you so you much, very much, Kitty.
0: I've loved talking to you guys. Thank you so much for thank having you. me on the show. Thank you for reading the book <laughs> and your incredible questions. Thank Definitely. you for creating it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: That was awesome. Thank you so much, Kitty. Um, and if you'd like to have your question or comments played on the show, you can call us at 678-MULTI05. <sighs> Um, yeah okay international listeners can also leave a voice message for us on Facebook and you can also email us at info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter Facebook or Instagram to support our show and join our private Facebook community go to patreon.com slash multiamory multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren Dedeker Winston and me Emily Matlack our episodes are edited by Mauricio Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh Anonid from the Fractal Cave EP.